fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review Ed Wood Jr.'s Plan 9 from Outer Space. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and would you agree this is worse than uh, Blood for Dracula? Mm-hmm. Because at least Blood for Dracula had a followable plot. Yes. This was not a movie. Um, dear listeners, in case you missed it. Which, uh, God, I hope so. <laughs> um, Jesus. There's aliens that invade Earth, but it's actually a request to get Earth to stop polluting and killing the planet. Only the way the aliens want to do that is by raising up zombies. And there's a pilot and some cops and Elvira. And it didn't make more sense than that. That's a pretty accurate description. Yeah. Like, (laughs) this is famously touted as the worst movie ever made and is on several lists of just the worst movie ever made. And it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. There is no plot. The acting is so over the top or just in some cases, not there at all. Um, There is one character who I think is the worst actress I've ever seen committed to film. (laughs) Is that the wife? No, the wife was actually okay. It was like one of the funeral mourners. Someone who originally (laughs) finds a dead body and she's like, oh my God, a dead body. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, like the, the most I can say about this is this isn't guerrilla filmmaking. They had sets, they had costumes, they had paid actors. The main guy, uh, Gregory Walcott, said this was his biggest regret in his entire career. Um, I can see why. I don't remember her name, but the woman who played the alien conqueror um, straight up said, do not put my name on this, which is probably why I don't remember her name. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This has all the tenets of like a super low budget indie gorilla film, but it really actually wasn't. And that's bad. Well, and it lacks any heart, too. Because, like, the thing about indie guerrilla film, you're like, oh, yes, it's such a passion project. And it's really well pulled off, despite its little budget. This wasn't that at all. It was just bad. Yeah. It was very hard to watch it sober. Yes. I had that same thought. Because, like, trying to watch this sober and trying to watch this critically and seriously and not just make fun of it and not do a mystery science theater thing like this it was painful this is the worst movie we've seen on cult fiction and because we i watched it on tubi it would pause for commercial breaks and so when it pauses for commercial breaks it shows you how long you have (laughs) left in the movie so each commercial break i was like oh my god how is there still 40 more minutes because the nicest thing I can say about this movie is at least it's short, but it's not as short as I wanted it 
to be. It feels long. It feels long. You know, I wonder if you could successfully edit this into a good short film. God. But even that. Because, like, the plot's so convoluted, you need to get to where you're going. Maybe if you just took all the footage and just completely square one and, like, restructured how the scenes go and cut out all of Bela Lugosi's cameo, um, which, you know, was was in this movie because it's friggin' Bela Lugosi and he was actually great friends with Edward Jr. late in his life and was like, yeah, buddy, I'll do your movie, whatever. Um, and this was his final film before he died. So that's actually not true. Well, it's not. He was dead. He had been in a prior movie, and Ed Wood had, like, leftover footage of him. Right. And that's why they kept using the same shots of him, and that's why it kept going back and forth between, like, night and day shots, where you're just like, wait, what time of day is this? Because there are several times in this movie where you're like, it's daytime suddenly, now it's nighttime suddenly, because they wanted to have Bella Lugosi in it. I mean, I get it. You know, you know, I I didn't realize that. Yeah. And that makes a whole lot of sense. I just thought that they were literally incompetent. No. <laughs> um, but it makes sense because, I mean, if you're going to have a movie of vampire aliens, why not use Bela Lugosi? Right. The original vampire. Especially if you can get him. So, no, it, it makes sense. They just Bojack horseman him in. <laughs> That term can stay. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that those are the high points, kids. Yeah, I mean, there's just, because I mean, there's been a movie made about how bad this movie is and about how just, what a, what a happy idiot Ed Wood Jr. was, or at least that's how he comes across in the Tim Burton film. And just like, yeah, this is a guy who really wanted to try his best and work out a creative vision, but just his best and his decision-making and his creative vision were bad. Yeah. Really, really bad. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get over the dialogue. Oh God, it's so cheesy and so stilted. Yes, absolutely. And like, from from the word go, um, you know, we get the the amazing Criswell, who uh, I I read was a real life famous famous psychic, so like a modern uh, uh, the Miss Cleo of his time who would go Easy. on TV. The the narrator at the beginning he was like, "My friends, we oh, live in yeah. troubling times." Blah 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 blah. Oh, that was I didn't know that was a real dude. That was a real dude who was really friends with Ed Wood. And Ed Wood was like, do you want to narrate my movie? And he was like, sure. Can I write all my own lines? And Ed Wood was like, sure. That's not what... No, that's what writers exist for. Ed Wood. Uh-huh. Ed Wood, buddy, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Pay someone to do it professionally. So you hear that, and then like the the opening of the movie is like... You know, a bunch of people standing in a cemetery and, and the dialogue is something like, and this is the opening dialogue, the funeral for the lady who died was on a Thursday and her husband died then afterwards and everyone was very sad. 
Yeah, I, I can see how some like TV psychic con man dude just went, yes, whatever I can say because people know my name because I'm on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever. <laughs> well, that's so interesting because I wanted to bring up the topic of narration as a device. Oh, please do. What did you think about the overarching narration throughout the movie? It felt like they had shot the whole thing and watched it and told themselves, oh, this is utterly incomprehensible. Let's tell people exactly <laughs> what's happening. So that's interesting because I, I was trying to figure out, would it be better or worse without the narrator? I think... You wouldn't get it without the narrator? <laughs> I, I, I think, honestly, half and half... Because there were some moments that it was just like, why are you telling me this? Mm. I understand. Yes, we're clearly at a funeral. <laughs> yes, okay, an old man's crying. I'm going to assume it's a funeral for a woman's wife. Oh, now that old man is like being attacked or, or whatever happens to him. I didn't need it to be like, as he walked down the sidewalk, the old man was struck by a car and then we went to his funeral. Oh, also... I'm so sorry, but the old man getting hit by the car, you can see his shadow in the shot when the car sound is made. <laughs> he is still in the shot when he gets run over. Yeah. If only Bella Lugosi's character had gotten run over in what that movie was supposed to have been. Right. <laughs> I, You know, this was so bad that I, I eventually... I, I, didn't quite come around to the other side, but I could see where coming around to the other side was like, the problem is this is not a movie you can sit down and watch critically with anybody. This is a movie to do what we're basically doing is laugh at how completely goddamn ridiculous this is and point out all of the just garbage problems of the film. Like, then it's enjoyable. And then this is a movie that you could watch under the influence of several things and have it be more enjoyable. Indeed. Make it a drinking game, kids. <laughs> Every time a narrator says whatever is exactly happening on the screen, take a shot. Anytime someone screams belatedly after something happens, take a shot. Anytime uh, night and day are intermixed from shot to shot, take a shot. Anytime they reuse the same exact shot, take a shot. Yeah, take take somehow like hold the hold the whiskey in your mouth, spit it back into the cup, then take the shot again whenever that happens. Cause then you're doing what the movie did. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. What did you think of the pilot? So the pilot was the guy, um, Gregory Walcott, and he was, he was an actor. He was probably the best part. He was probably, like, he was giving the best performance for sure. Um, was it the best part? I mean, yeah, probably. I, I very much enjoyed um, the head alien guy, but we can talk about him in a minute. Yeah. The pilot. <laughs> so he, he sat here after this and was like, this is the biggest mistake of my acting career. 
Sure. And I can tell that he was thinking that because you can like watch him check out from scene to scene, <laughs> you know, as they're sitting in front of a curtain that is built to look like maybe we're kind of sort of in a pilot cockpit and, you know, looking to the left of the soundstage and being told, okay, there's a flying saucer in there. I can just see him be like, I'm Gregory goddamn Walcott. This is disappointing. <laughs> Those scenes were so awkward, too, because it was very clear he was carrying the room. So yes. anytime the stewardess came in, there was like, I think there was even a point where the co-pilot line jumped the flight attendant and the flight attendant had to repeat a line. And that somehow stayed in the movie. Because I guarantee you, like, either Edward didn't notice or... He was like, well, fix it in editing. And then it was time to edit. And he was like, oh, my God, I can't actually do this because that's not how editing works. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hollywood Troubles. Oh, man. Hollywood Troubles, the movie. So in researching this, I um, found out that this got a remake. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't make me watch it. I, I shan't. Please. I mean, if if we're gonna re if we're gonna watch the remake, there must there must be whiskey. That's fine. Otherwise, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> no, no, I I don't think I will either. Fair. <laughs> How did it get a remake? So the one thing I can say without watching it, you know, just looking at the pictures, it still looks like the remake was very much a like no to low budget. Um, super indie like this didn't get a studio released film make this got a remake that somebody passion project together and then like was able to pitch to some minor studio to get a you know straight to dvd kind of release but i i do love on the box the whole thing was like this was the movie edward wanted to make and then you look at a couple of the screen caps and it looks just as bad as any of the worst modern sci-fi channel movie. So, <laughs> But doesn't it also have like a sequel as well? I don't believe so. I think I saw something on the IMDb page and if not, we can cut this. I mean, you could arguably say that the sequel to this was the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I'd believe you. Is this what they're making fun of in Rocky Horror Picture Show? So this is like one of the things that Rocky Horror is directly trying to like lampoon and make fun of. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I guess I can kind of see it and that there's like aliens trying to take over humans. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, the Rocky Horror Picture Show isn't supposed to be like the musical parody version of Plan 9 for Outer Space. Yeah. But, you know, just along with like the original Invisible Man and the 1930s King Kong, but like a, a little bit more Plan 9 because Plan 9 was so bad. And Rocky Horror was originally just a series of love songs that Richard O'Brien wrote to his girlfriend and was like, I'm going to make a like trash camp musical out of this. And bless him, he did. I didn't know that was how it got made. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Rocky Horror. Oh. Yeah. That's really cute. But like the idea of like, oh, they're aliens, even though they're 
human in every way except for their costuming and it screw it why does it need to make sense plotting and yeah. and all of that well even in back to plan 9 away from rocky horror oh. unfortunately we do have to actually talk about the movie we're recording um but speaking of the aliens and their tech their tech made no sense so like yeah they were humans <laughs> in every way but they were aliens but they have this translator machine, but the only time that they use it is in the very end scene to talk to the humans. Their little taser thing that they raise the dead with is heavily inconsistent with how it's used. So it just doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, and that like that really comes back to the real main issue is the writing is drek the plotting is garbage the directing is just straight up awful there's so many things that like i don't know if Ed, if edward was trying to like focus on the haze code or something there's a moment in the in the movie where i'm sorry you said Edward. did i oh my bad <laughs> <laughs> uh you know edward just I don't know if he was trying to attain to the haze code in some weird sort of way or what, but there's a moment where the aliens like cite God and <laughs> is either the pilot or the sheriff or somebody is like, you believe in God? And the alien just goes, of course, just because we're aliens doesn't mean we're not Christian or whatever. Like he, he makes something where he's like, yes, we believe in the Christian God, even though we are aliens from a complete other planet. There is so much just shoved in the last 20 minutes. Like, yeah, we're going to suddenly make an environmentalist swing of things. We're going to suddenly make a philosophical swing of things. And that's where I turn back and say, okay, maybe you could like, make this make sense if you just completely restructured and put some of the stuff from the beginning into, or some of the stuff from the ending over into the beginning and actually tried to have like a through line instead of some weird environmental message halfway through your schlocky drive in like popcorn movie. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Or this is a bad movie and it's always going to be bad and it should feel bad for being bad. Probably that one. Probably that one. Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. It did not age well at all. It did not age well. Do you want to talk about why? Um, there's not a single person of color in the whole movie except for one shot of a black man picking up a newspaper, clearly coded as homeless, and we don't even see his face. I completely missed that. Sad day. Um, I try to look for these things, specifically for the segment. You're welcome. <laughs> um, also, the last 20 minutes also had some very blatant sexism in it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not even the last 20 minutes. The part where um, the alien woman is directing Tor Johnson zombie mm -hmm. and her gun jams and she just completely goes to pieces. Is that what you're talking about? No, I was talking about one. Uh, this isn't in the last 20 minutes either, but there's also a moment where um, one of the, uh, one of the cops um, who had 
talked to the pilot's wife was saying like, oh, well, you know women. They just get hysterical and make a big deal about everything. Yeah, I remember so that So that was said. And then in the end scene, the two um, like alien sergeants or whatever, I don't exactly know the word, they're, you know, in, uh, in confrontation with all the earthlings. And the female alien sergeant... Uh, does something like give an order or tries to be assertive in some way and the male alien just like straight up backhands her and is like no that's not how we do shit on this planet yeah oh my god i remember that now yeah the sheriff like slaps her and says something about how on our planet women like cook dinner or some some yeah something insanely like sexist and misogynist why can't everything be like that show Hollywood? So diverse and inclusive, so honor of, honoring of women and people of color and gay people. That's totally what Hollywood was like in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Revisionist erasure is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't age well at all. No. And, and the other thing, you know, so I, I mentioned before the, like... So we have our two alien rando officers and then their commander. Oh, yeah. Who I I liked. I, I came to like him and I think he might have been my favorite thing about the movie because he clearly looked at the script and was like, okay, I've done Shakespeare. I can, I can make this work and just went off about it but like you were telling me earlier he's a little bit queer coded yes absolutely he is very effeminate and there's nothing wrong with being gay and effeminate but it was like that over the top like we're trying to make this a joke right and and beyond that like it was a thing in a lot of different forms of media to make your head villain because he is ostensibly the head villain of the movie Mm -hmm. um coded as queer yeah and so even if this was a piece of crap it was a indicative problem of a a greater issue again going through hollywood in the 1950s yeah yeah you see you see your stupid minds stupid stupid so is this a weird time to bring up the fact that ed wood wound up writing a lot of uh, lesbian porn he what yes like what um you know ed wood was such a bad shitty infamous personality that towards the end of his career orgy um, of the dead yeah that's one of them um yeah towards the end of his career the only projects that would take him on were straight up like pornographic films so you had stuff titled things like Orgy of the Dead or Shotgun Wedding, which I'm reading just this very second for the first time, an exploitation film about hillbillies marrying child brides. So that's fucking gross. Yikes. Um, his and Orgy of the Dead, originally titled Nudie Ghoulies. Thanks, I hate it. That's some Rocky Horror Picture shit. Mm, I don't like it. Um, yeah, I mean, Ed Wood like would 
there was nothing else he could do, but he wanted to make movies so bad that he was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and make this weird werewolf porn and just do whatever I can do. And that was basically the end portion of his career. Mm. So we finally figured out, like, we can pinpoint where the bar is and how bad a writer has to be to be on the difference between movie and pornography. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you Headwood. Headwood. Yay. <laughs> um, you know, the Tim Burton film goes into this a bit. I feel like a a good third of that movie is just about how they made Plan 9 from Outer Space. But I keep pointing to the writing and the directing is bad. This was pretty much just bad all the way around. Like I, I said it earlier, he had a soundstage, he had costumes, he had modern day, or not modern day, but modern to the day film equipment that he knew how to use. And that's basically all of he had. Mm-hmm. There are so many moments where it was very clear an actor gave their entire conversation in one take and like didn't pause enough. Like, you know, a two-sided conversation. This is the same thing that happened in Killer Clowns where somebody's like talking they cut away to the other shot. They cut back to the first shot. And it's very clear the first person talking has not moved like an inch. Which means they were just delivering all of their lines in one go. And no. that's not a good look. No, that's not how no. you want it. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the stuff about Bela Lugosi I didn't know. And so I'm, I, can, I can almost give the day and night stuff a pass. But it's so obvious. Know? It is so blatantly obvious. There's the moment where his wife, uh, the pilot's wife, is running through the graveyard. And then it cuts to very clearly like some California highway in the middle of the day. And she's still running. And then we cut back into the soundstage and it's night again. It's so mad. There's so much of that. There's so much of people being like, what's that noise? When... There wasn't a noise. And there's so much of like one of the zombies, the Bela Lugosi or the Tor Johnson or Vampira, like looking over at a crowd of people. And it felt like contextually they're supposed to be like 30 feet away just in the hedge line, but no one notices it. Mm -hmm. Like this movie, I figured out, for me, at least, the biggest problem with this movie is it has no sense at all of scale, either in sense of physical location sure. or in sense of time. Okay. Because, you know, we go through all these alien attacks and we go through all this stuff where it's like the military has all these advanced weaponry to fight off the aliens. And we have the giant big alien attack sequence. And fight scene right you have the big giant militaristic fight scene like a half hour into the movie followed by the conversation from some general character who's like we have all these technological advancements to fight aliens which that's fine you know that's that's every sci-fi movie but it's all in just the way that it happens and the structure of everything it makes zero sense you know, we have we go from alien battle to our two alien dudes having a conversation with the 
Shakespearean queer coded overlord. And, and we have, ne- we never have any context of where he is. Is he on planet Transylvania? Is he in a spaceship behind the moon? Is he like, where is he? How long does it take for them to get him? I, I don't know. I don't know if Ed would knew. The rules aren't well established. Not at all. And that is just unexcusable to me. Well, it's a problem because it's the, we never really understand how things are working, why they're working that way. We don't really even get why the aliens are invading until 40 minutes in at best. Yeah. Mm. It's not good. It's not good. There's this whole, you can kill them, but you can only kill them this way. They're not able to be shot at, but then all of a sudden one of them is bones and dust. Right. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the scene where the alien becomes bones and dust, the scene precluding that where the wife is telling her husband, the pilot, she's going to lock herself in the house. How the fuck did Bella Lugosi get in her house then? Because she locked, either she's really stupid and was like, he's just being overreactive. I'm not going to lock the door. Or she locked the door and he's a magic alien vampire. Only it can't be that one because later we see him unable to get through a closed door when he's trying to get like back in the alien spaceship. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So the rules don't make sense. They don't make sense. I think we just figured out she's a bad wife. Aww. She's very, very flighty and very much like, oh, he's worrying about nothing when he's... Oh, well, you know women. They just get so hysterical. So hysterical. It was so weird to me because, like, I'd, I'd seen Ed Wood... And even then, I I was only, like, half paying attention to the Plan 9 stuff. And even then, the movie isn't about making Plan 9 from outer space. The zombie thing feels like such a, we got to this idea, we wanted to make it a thing. Oh, wait, how do we make it a thing? Because we have zombies in this alien movie. Um, And I, I didn't like that at all. You know, mm-hmm. behind the scenes, we're making the whole, the whole, this is a horror movie because we have these three zombie actors who, you know, each look distinct and, and weird on their own. But we want to make this, you know, alien environmental message. So, uh, 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 plan nine is raise zombies that we cannot actually control if the gun jams because the women get uppity. Turn off your electro gun. I want to know what the eight other plans are. Like, that is the sequel we should have, is a just complete, like, tongue-in-cheek, as bad as it can be, like, thanks-killing, bird-demic, Sharknado-level bad plans one through eight from outer space. So a couple other things. You know, I, I name-dropped Mystery Science Theater, Mystery Science Fiction Theater 3000, which, you know, is an amazing show, and is full of people making fun of movies that are 
at least as bad as Plan 9 from Outer Space, if not worse. For being the worst movie ever, it has a 4 on IMDb, which is abysmally low. But there are movies that have lower scores. What has a lower score than this? Oh, okay. Get ready. Okay. Like, I mean, this this is really more a um, an idea of how subjective, uh, you know, a rating system, especially IMDb, can be. But for instance, uh, just flipping through 1964's Jailbait has a 3.6, also directed by Edward Jr. <laughs> Ooh, not a great title. Vic Bradley draws young Don Gregor into a life of crime. He then blackmails mm. Gregor's plastic surgeon father into fixing up his face so he can evade the cops. That's the story of Arsenic and Old Lace. What the shit? <laughs> Are you personally offended? I am, Ed Wood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Orgy of the Dead, which we talked about and is technically like a skin flick has a 3.6 uh night of the ghouls which is i think the other um bella lugosi movie I, I, i'm looking at tor johnson right there i don't know night of the ghouls has a 3.9 they you know rating system being objective there are worsely rated movies on imdb than plan nine from outer space but i mentioned mystery science fiction theater 3000 because you know you would expect this to be on it you would you would expect this to be like some sort of season finale or special episode or something because it is such a prolific garbage movie it is too bad for mystery science fiction 3000 it's too bad it is too bad because i found out there is not enough space between the lines for the guys to make jokes. Oh my God. They tried and like there wasn't enough time. There wasn't enough breath. Okay. Okay. There wasn't enough of a breath between any given awful line for somebody to make a, a funny riff. So like this was impossible to do in the way that they wanted to do and that is outstanding to me that this movie was too bad for the spoof show <laughs> oh man but it did seem like it should be because this was where you got the whole joke of ufos flying on wires yep. and yep that's such a little phenomenon apparently everybody like you know, you look at that and people have said like, oh, Ed Wood was using anything he could find. One of them's made out of hubcaps. The other one is like a pizza tin. One is a, a, a unpopped Jiffy popcorn thing. And apparently it really was like he went out and bought three specific UFO models. Like, I'm assuming from, like, a hobby shop or something. Mm -hmm. But those, like, it, it, it's so sad that, like, that is probably, you're right, the most famous, like, bit of shit that people remember to give this movie. And that wasn't even actually, like, the worst thing about it. Like, Edward actually was like, yeah, I'm going to spend the $50. I'm going to buy these models. Like, yeah, of course they're on string. What else are we going to do? <laughs> I will say, though, uh -huh. if your UFO can catch fire... It should not be going in space! You do not actually have the capacity for space travel. No! The atmosphere is, you know, 
Fire. Yeah. Fire gas. Yeah, you know, deadly burning fire gas. If a NASA space shuttle is more durable than your UFO, then truly you are not like the custodians of the universe who have kept the peace for 9,000 years or, or whatever the hell they they said was going on. I loved that. I, I loved the, uh, the UFO not only catching fire in the movie, but like just lighting one of those little uh, models on fire. That was great. From... If it had been done with better tech, it would have actually been impressive. Yeah. But as it was, it just looked like a burning trash can. Yeah. Yeah. That's no good. Oh, did you think that the um, pilot cockpit and the alien um, spaceship, the inside of the alien spaceship, (laughs) were just two sides of the different curtain because they both had curtains? You know, I didn't until you said that, and now I absolutely do. Now you can't unsee it? Now I can't unsee it. That makes perfect sense. And for all we know, they were filming at the exact same time. Because I wouldn't put it past anybody. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Guys, we rented the curtain for two days. We're going to build on one side and build on the other. We got to (laughs) go. Got to get this in the books. So, Stephanie, can you prove this didn't happen? No, I can't prove this didn't happen. Can you prove this didn't happen? I cannot prove this didn't happen. <laughs> I will say, good on you for covering your bases, Edward, being like, hey, can you prove that this didn't happen? I hate it when people say that. It's like, can you prove this? No, but I can't disprove it. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Good for you. That's great. I guess. <laughs> Um, this isn't my Oscar. We're about to get into those, but I will say the last thing, you know, there, there is a single good shot in, in my opinion. Yeah. And that was the shot of Tor Johnson rising from the grave. That was cool. Tor Johnson is which one? Tor Johnson was the giant bald man who was zombified and they, they made the big hullabaloo about his character dying and then thematically like they put the camera on the ground and they were smart about it for once like i got no beef with tor johnson he he did a lot of these shitty ed wood movies but he looked like he was having fun yeah yeah (laughs) well i'm glad that there was one shot in this that you liked god Mm. it's occurring to me it's at least possible we watch a movie where i can't even pull out a single shot and that makes me sad yeah (laughs) i can't help you there you have a film podcast bud i know i know and on this film podcast you know we 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 try we we really try our hardest to at least grace every movie with a couple of things that it can it can be proud about in the in the great movie pantheon a couple of oscars because none of these movies uh, or very rarely are these movies eligible for Oscars, and Jesus God, was Plan 9 never going to be up for any sort of award of any way, shape, or form. So with that said, I would like to give my Oscar for Plan 9 from Outer Space the tiniest waist to Vampyra. Ah, uh, and her waist trainer? And her waist trainer. Her, her I'm... Crushing all of my lungs. I don't know how I'm walking. Waist trainer. 
Um, you know, it gotta get, gotta give it this. Vampira is so visually distinctive. And when you talk about Plan 9 from Outer Space, people think of that shot of Vampira and Tor Johnson sitting next to each other, grimacing at the camera. You know what? She was memorable, for yeah. sure, as she stumbled around. The craziest thing I found out, she would put on her entire, like, Vampira persona on at home and then catch the city bus. Oh, my God. In makeup, in the waist trainer to get oh to the God. studio. Oh, my God. Why would you wear that longer than you have to? I have no idea. I barely wear a bra if I'm at home. <laughs> like, why would you wear a waist trainer on the bus? Because you want everybody on the bus to remember that day. Remember the day we saw the girl who looked like she didn't have lungs or a stomach or... Or kidneys. Or kidneys or just anything going on in there on the bus. Yeah, that was a weird day, honey. Some Scarlet O'Hara bullshit. <laughs> Well, similarly to weirdly sized waists, my Oscar goes to weirdly proportioned spaceships. Sure. So there is a point where the spaceships land and they are absolutely tiny. Yeah. They're about the same size as the gravestones. Right, right. But later, four fully sized men walk through this spaceship and into it and it's suddenly huge enough to give them space to walk around and be in the ship but mm, mm, how how does the ship grow <laughs> once it lands is it like one of those shrinky growy things it, it mm. might as well be your your guess is as good as mine the logic does not follow through in this movie i love that ed wood splurged like 150 bucks on some ufo ship models and then didn't think that he would need to build like a model cemetery to have them land in to be proportioned correctly mm. he just put them next to his cardboard tombstones <laughs> that's great Oh, I hate this movie so much. And I never have to watch it again. You know who else never has to watch Plan 9 from Outer Space unless he really wants to? Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> uh, would you like to go first, friend? Yeah, so I was able to do this one in uh, two. Okay. And I'm pretty happy about that. We've discussed Gregory Walcott. He's really the only like actor worth a damn um gregory walcott this movie haunted him his entire rest of his life because he was in Teb tim burton's ed wood with johnny depp who as we've discussed at nauseum was in black mass with kevin bacon <laughs> nice using another cult fiction movie to make your bacon I also used Gregory Walcott. I think that's pretty oh. much the only actor you can use from this movie. Yes. He was in Mr. Roberts with Betsy Palmer, who was in Friday the 13th with a very baby, Ooh. Kevin Bacon. I like that. <laughs> well, I'll give you five guesses as to who it came from. <laughs> <sighs> so, that was Plan 9 <laughs> from Outer Space. Um... Easily the worst movie we've looked at on cult fiction. And I have to go into the next part with at least a little bit of optimism because I, I, I feel like, oh my God, I hope I'm not jinxing it. There cannot be a worse movie. Shh, don't say it. And if there is, 
I mean, hopefully we're not seeing it anytime soon. Um, we are going to spin the random number generator and find out which of the um, 306 movies on our lists we will be looking at next. 182. Yeah. Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> All right. Oh, we were one away from Purple Rain. That would have been delightful. Uh, 182 is a uh, Danish movie called Pusher uh, by Nicholas Vinding Refn, uh, and it is the first movie that Mads Mikkelsen was ever in. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm stoked. Um, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but I'm also uh, the co-host of Love-Hate Relationship. We actually talk about it in a fair minute. I don't know why I said that. Um, and at time of recording, one of the most recent uh, episodes was about just how much I love Mads Mikkelsen. Um, so, you know, I talked about the pusher trilogy a little bit there. Um, the, it's the guy's first movie. It's also Nicholas Vending Refn's first movie. Uh, he's the guy who directed drive and Valhalla rising and neon demon. And like, so these, these are two guys I really, really, really like, and this is both of their first movies. So I'm very excited. All right. Yeah. My fate is in your hands, as usual. Mm. <laughs> well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the for now. But join us next time as we deal heroin through the streets of Copenhagen, as we uh, take in Nicholas Vending Refn's Pusher. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Hey.